0: From the Multiply Family of Churches, we are Behind Open Doors, a podcast designed to take you behind the scenes, discovering what it takes to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. We're located in the U.S., the Hampton Roads region of Virginia. Visit us at multiplythechurch.com. My name is Aaron Denney, Executive Director of the Multiply Family of Churches, and I'm joined today by our Director of Missions and Neighborhood Ambassador. Mr. John Slaker. Hey. It's good to have you with us again, my friend. Yeah, great. All right. This is our our last episode before we take a little bit of a break um, in the season here. And, um, you know, I said neighborhood ambassador. Um, because I think it's a very purposeful title, and I say it somewhat jokingly, but at the same time, you know, this final episode, we're going to take this elongated pause, and uh, we're going to talk today about Neighborhood Church, because we haven't talked about that yet. And when I think about the model of Neighborhood Church and a champion of that model, I think of one Mr. Jonathan George Slinker. Oh wow! Yeah, appreciate I got, it. got it in there, man. <laughs> it right. took me a second. I was like, "Wait, is it?" Yes. Okay, I got it. Yep. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think of you, man, for real. And um, you know, just like last episode, we talked about business as mission. Um, when we're thinking about a way to creatively pursue the mission of God, it, it, we find ourselves back in India ten years ago. And once again, asking ourselves the question, man, why can't this happen here in our context in the US? And of course, the this that we're talking about is the scattered church, the house church, the neighborhood church model of gospel expansion. But further, we were asking ourselves, why can't we do both?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting it's the tenth episode. That was my jersey number uh, throughout high school. Really, and uh, I don't, I don't think I got it in college. But um, I was eleven. My
0: number was eleven.
1: <clears throat> oh, nice. Yeah, ten and eleven, and uh, fitting. What do you know? Yeah, I like it. So <laughs>
0: it's funny that mine was just a little bit greater than yours. Yeah, whatever, you you, know. two
1: number ones I got you. <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, no I was gonna try and make a joke about it being the 10th episode that was my Jersey number this we're talking about neighborhood church this wheelhouse saying this is this is what I what I love to do this is um, a, a part of why I wake up in the morning is to lead people um, those who are close to God into areas uh, typically neighborhoods uh, where there are people who are far from God And um, we've done that since day one. In fact, the first 30 days um, that we were here, um, we did that. Um, And that was an exciting time. But we're going to get into that story, and we're going to get into what neighborhood church um, has looked like, is looking like, and what we hope that it will continue to flourish into, um, along with the help of our good friend and uh, brother, Nicholas Lombardi from the Grace Collective. Um, It wasn't long ago that when we started trying to figure this out that uh, our family from the Grace Collective and Nicholas, you guys um, came along and and, um, you were passionate about the neighborhood church model. And so we said, hey, let's figure this out together. So we want to invite Nicholas Lombardi back behind open doors. Nick, good to have you again. And we're going to discuss the importance of the neighborhood church in the mission of God to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. Nicholas is the founder, uh, founding elder of Grace Collective. He's on the board at Coalescence Coffee Company, and he's the VP of Programs Operations at ICM, International Cooperating Ministries. Thanks. Welcome back. Thanks
0: for
2: having me back. I'm excited. Yeah. Excited to be back.
0: Absolutely. Uh, maybe we'll be a little less winded little less long-winded this time. Yeah. Uh, business admission went quite long, um, but I think it was really good. Um, you pulled out some things that uh, I think maybe we weren't really uh, ready for, so we kind of processed together all, and, uh, all in one space, and I, I really enjoyed that discussion. So I'm excited to get into this discussion where I feel like I'm a bit of like – a mediator here for you two mm. to in a good way to work through this um, championing of the neighborhood church model mm. um, because my realm is more of the established, you know, traditional church um, brick and mortar kind of things. And um, you guys are out doing whatever you do in those neighborhood <laughs> churches. Um, and, uh, and no, I, I, I want, I'm making fun of that because that is often the posture mm. towards Neighborhood churches, right?
1: Well, one of the last times I was at OV, (laughs) one of the members there, whom I love, uh, came up to me while we were standing in a line. I maybe it was during a family meeting, and this is probably for food of some sort. Yeah, sure, obviously, that's what we do. So, John, um, what do you do? I <laughs> uh, love it. Uh, yeah, stuff. Uh, I love it. We all do right. stuff.
0: So, so what we need to figure out, um, I think, at the outset, before we dive like headlong into um, just the model and how it works and all this thing, and uh, as as really defined some terms. Um, so, one of the I, I have this picture in my mind, and um, maybe I'll try to put it up on the podcast page when we when we do this. But uh, I remember drawing a picture with you, and it was a, a square of the Four Fields, and it was like all of these little circles coming off of the square, um, smaller circles coming off the square, representing different groups, right? Mm-hmm. The square itself represented um, like Ovi Church, for instance, or it represented Little Creek Church, or it represented mm-hmm. the next neighborhood church that was going to pop up, and the little circles that came off of that that square of, um, uh, of the Four Fields uh, emblem were groups or small groups that would be started. And our vision, our, our thought was, man, we would love to see some of these small groups then kind of go off and start their own square as it were, right. To start their own, um, uh, four fields. And, uh, we we're, we're uh, praying over and tilling up the soil with prayer, uh, we're we're sowing new gospel seed. We're um, cultivating new disciples. We're gathering them into spaces, and we're developing leaders um, along the way. That whole mm-hmm. kind of four fields model of church planting, right? Mm-hmm. And and so, and I had I drew out on a napkin as my vision for uh, for OV Church um, this. This idea that we're going to uh, preach the gospel, be gospel-centered in all all that we do, get people in groups and community life, and go on mission in all the world. Gospel groups go, right? And the going part, making disciples, was that that picture that we would— Go and plant um, new groups, and those new groups would go find new places, a new soil that might need a gospel presence, um, in our case, within the city and within the area that we live, and go plant new gospel work in these different areas. And so then from that—I'm sorry to kind of be illustrating the picture as we go here, but but all of these things, though— would be connected, would be somehow interconnected, almost like a spider web or a network hub or a network web of, of connection that um, we could somehow remain tethered to one another, sharing resources, um, and this was 2012, by the way, so yep. this was before Multiply existed, way before, um, and we were always talking about just continuing to work together on these things. Mm-hmm. And so some of the, the terms that need to be defined, I think, as we get rolling here are First of all, small group, all right? So um, we would, at, at OV, we would say a small group is a group of believers gathered together to um, uh, care for one another, centered on the word, and inviting in their their neighbors and people um, that either need community or need Jesus uh, into that space, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it, in our some cases, we have folks that are, um, doing small group questions based on sermons. Some folks are doing kind of their own study, um, and others are just more focused on uh, heavily on care. Um, but that's really what small group looks like um, in very short form um, mm-hmm. at OV, right? Now, <clears throat> the difference between a small group and what could become a church is, at its simplest form—you guys can help me here—is really— intent, right, is the starting point of saying not just we are a small group, but now saying we want to become a church. So walk us through the next couple pieces of this and what that, what that would look like um, for somebody or for a group that said we are now intending on becoming a church. What are the next couple phases of that? What's that look like?
1: Hmm. Well, I think the first thing we did in the church that we started in in our friend's home down the down the way, this was probably three four years ago now. <clears throat> we all sat around the table one night and uh, we we decided, hey, we want to be church. Um, we talked about what that meant, and so we wrote up a simple covenant that we would read out loud to one another together, and uh, then we took Lord's Supper, and it was almost like you say your vows when you're getting married. Um, Hey, I'm going to be here for you in, in thick and thin. Right. Um, and so that's what we are as the church and we intend to worship God. We intend to serve and love one another. Um, and we intend to be able to hold each other accountable to doing those things. Um, so the intent I think most most simply ends up looking like your church covenant. You covenant together as a local body that you're going to do these things.
0: And so you would then shift from this phase of small group into what we call, this is not anything official, this is just language we use here at Multiply. We call it church start. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, is that acceptable language for you, Nicholas Lombardi?
2: Uh... <laughs> I, I understand how it's being used. Yeah, I think. Uh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> like well John said. says, it's yeah. not about, uh, what is it, words don't have meaning, they have usage. So I'm I totally fine with how it's used, yeah. So again, yeah, yeah. this is, yeah. Uh, it has to be said. as we're uh,
1: looking at, a, at the progression of it.
0: Right. Yeah. So the progression is, in, in the way we use it, is small group, church start, church, healthy church, okay? Mm-hmm. And the only reason that we're even delineating it all is because we found, as we got further and down the line together, as we all had differing educations and differing views and different um, uh, experiences coming to the table, it was like, listen, we need common language that we can at least agree upon. You heard even some hesitation in Nick's voice a second ago, because he's not like, right. he's like, ah, I don't know if I really but I get it, but I get what we're trying to do here. We got to cooperate. We got to figure out how to use language that we all understand and know. And for you zero to one guys, like you're comfortable very quickly with calling something a church. Right. And I mean, zero to one, like Mm -hmm. nothing to church to Mm -hmm. something. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and, uh,
2: that, that, I, that's a respectful term. No, I, I just had I hadn't been told I was that before. I'm writing it down. <laughs> uh, you've evolved. You've certainly evolved over the years, for sure.
0: No, but uh, but you guys that are like like let's get this thing going quickly. Um, you're more comfortable with terms like uh, calling something a church very quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas some of the folks that are at my church are like, well, wait a minute, but they don't have. And some of the yeah. older folks, well, they don't have a worship service, do they? Right. right? right. And then right. some folks are like, well, they don't even have really a defined pastor. They just have this group of elders. How does that work? And so we've had to come up with some similar language, and we've 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 we've, uh, we've butted heads over the years on some of this stuff. Um, but I think come to good, healthy. Yeah. Um,
2: Concessions. uh, (laughs) That's the important caveat. I think what you're saying is that we need the shared terminology. At at ICM, we you know our vision is to see a healthy church within walking distance of every man, woman, and child on the planet. And um, that immediately, right, like, well, what, how are you defining church? And then like, well, we count disciples as our only metric, essentially. And it's like, wait a minute, how do you define a disciple? So, so, so I've actually written a couple of white papers. That's basically like, all right, everyone relax, (laughs) like (laughs) chill out. This is, this is how we're going to define it so that we know what our goal is. And if we're getting towards that goal and like what God has delivered as a vision. And I think that's absolutely appropriate. And it's, it's helpful that people understand it. So like even yeah. so at ICM like when we say when we count a congregation or a church, it like has to have twenty five people in it. It has to have consistent leadership at the local church level. It has to be doing the sacraments, things like that. You know that's that's different than like a theological discussion. That's just like that's what we're gonna do. As yeah, 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 yeah.
1: That's helpful. With with the church start, church and healthy church, I almost see it as as like well, it, take a newborn baby, okay. Is it a human? (laughs) Yes, it's a human. Okay. Baby, it's a human. What about a teenager? Well, they're a person too. What about an elderly person? They're a person too. They can all be healthy, different ages, different stages in life. They're all people. Same thing with church. It may be a brand new infant church. It may be a thriving, you know, teenage church. It may be an elderly church that's starting to decay. Um, they're all churches. Um, so I could really care less beyond that. If, if we're talking about, you know, the definitions, I think the definitions are helpful. Sometimes I can get a little, uh, I can get a little frustrated with some of like parsing through definitions. And that's why I think it's really helpful what you just said, Nick, how are we going to use them? How are we understanding each other and our hearts behind them?
2: yeah and I, I think it's understanding there there i've met a lot of people uh maybe fans like aaron of the the uh, legacy model or, or traditional model the col- colonial model is really where it comes from originally um <laughs> uh kind of say well like the two or two and three gathered is not a church and and first of all yes that 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 verse is used out of context to refer to the size of the church and the definition of a church but Mm -hmm. something i'm I'm always quick to mention from a theological perspective is that they two or three people meeting can't not be a church because what else are they right if you if you if jesus returns tomorrow and there's the the guy inside a closed country and there's just one family that's a church, and that's the only <laughs> church in the country. Jesus isn't going to say you guys aren't a church, right? You have to be the church by definition of having the Holy Spirit, and then there. But that is a different thing than like looking at the purposes and and, and goals. And, yeah, and, and, local uh, church. Right.
1: You set the
0: you set the context there, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you set it from two or three random people. To now two or three people gathered in a specific context where mm-hmm. there is no other thing going on. Yep. Yeah. Then yes. I, so I think this is this is yeah. the discussion that yeah. we've had over these years is where are we going to land organizationally on this definition? Yeah.
1: Just to nuance it even further, I think we can all be a part of separate churches, different church, different local churches, and yet when we gather, we're still being and doing church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're not covenanted necessarily to one another in our local church, but as brothers in Christ, we still have a a relationship and, and expectation that, hey, we're still, we're being church. We're doing church right now in sure. a sense, right? Sure. Um, and that's that's where my, maybe that's personality. Maybe that's well, it uh, is just because, living because, in it for so long and because, having to well, argue for so long. You
0: know what I'm going to say, because I would say that you are doing maybe the activities there you go. that a church does, yeah. right? And yeah. so I would just want to nuance that and refine that a little bit. Um, and, you know, I think there is something valuable as well, you guys are going to hate this, and so maybe this will spark another fun Let's discussion. Go. But um, <clears throat> I think there is something valuable as well to a, um, an institutional backing mm-hmm. of of an organization. For instance, all right. So one of the reasons that um, we'll say, kind of historically, that that. Pastors have been held in a high regard in society and culture is because they were backed by, usually, usually not always, but in at least in the West, um, some sort of education, some sort of like space where they were trained um, and came out of to participate in and be a quote unquote pastor in a town where the this church that they pastored was established. And they gained the respect of the community in the culture of the time. Um, and by the way, I'm speaking of this in a past tense, because in a post-Christian culture, it doesn't work as well anymore. Um, but in the past, it, they, they gained the, the, the influence that they had because of the institutional backing that came with it their education, and they're the pastor of this church, this congregation, that holds a certain weight in our culture, in our society. Er, it did, anyway. I mm-hmm. think that's dying off. I think it's waning, yep. unfortunately, and I think it doesn't quite exist anymore. Um, so I think we actually need the, the less institutionalized version of church, but I wouldn't say we need to do away with the institutionalized version of church because, well, I happen to Shepherd one of those, and uh, and we need both, right? Um, I think that's that's just kind of where we've landed. As and, and by the way, I, I was at a conference one time at um, with some of your homeboys, John. Yeah, and I remember I'm not going to name his name, but I remember a guy telling us that. Um, oh, you're trying to combine and, and work together with this established church and house church model. Yeah, that's that just doesn't work. Everybody I've talked to has, has tried that, and it's just— it, everybody I've talked to that has tried that. It's not worked. And Ridiculous. that's kind of been like a motivation for me to hmm. do whatever I possibly can <laughs> <laughs> uh, to make it work. And maybe that's, um, you know, yeah. a little bit of the flesh in me. I don't know. But some of it is just really, truly—joking um, uh, jo- aside here— uh, a deep-seated desire for this gathered and scattered model and this all types of churches for, to reach all types of people. Yeah. Um, and I realized that my church is not going to do that by itself. I need cooperation with another uh, collective, another network of churches that mm-hmm. are like-minded, that agree with what we agree with to, to, end, to reach a city. Yep. Um, Ultimately.
1: Yep. It w- w- the last thing I remember him saying is, he's never seen it before, but if anyone could, it would require leaders who would be open-handed enough and humble enough to be willing to cooperate and say, I need you. I'm better with you than I am without you. And um, and then those that shared leadership saying, hey, the open hands all the way, this is the Lord's and we're not going to tell the Lord where and where, where not he can spread movement, uh, like wildfire. That's, that's not our job, right? That's up to the Lord. And so we want to be open to work wherever the Lord's working. And that means different manifestations of the church. And I think to us, we could care less about the container of the church. Is it in a home? Is it in a building? Is it under a shade tree? I think we care way more about the content um, of, of the of the hearts and the church.
0: Yeah. And so the language of neighborhood church is where we landed, um, you know, in at least in our kind of Christian leadership circles. House church um, can carry some connotations with it that that. And uh, some f- people hear house church and they think, wow, zero accountability, zero, you know, involvement with other things. They just want to be the, you know, hipsters that gather in a church and, uh, yep. you know, in very insular, very focused on themselves. Which the I never got Like institutions, you know. That
1: wasn't, that was, <laughs> I, I didn't come to it with that perspective or mm-hmm. that intent. I, I I wanted a very uh, high apostle evangelist and, and teacher, and so... Like I saw this happening and I saw lives being changed and I've seen, I've seen the neighborhood church movement explode in different cities and I've seen it firsthand here, what, what God has done through it. And so, um, I never, I I guess I understand how people can come to it for that purpose, but that's where, um, we need to, again, not throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's always going to be people trying to join churches anywhere. Right, yeah. they the want to be there for themselves, not necessarily for God and others.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we go from small group church start church, um, and for for us, um, as we're looking to distinguish between um, an intent to start a more traditional model of church, an intent to start a neighborhood church, right? This would be like two tracks on uh, f- that's taking the train in the same direction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we set out to start Little Creek Church, Um, we did so with the intent because of the leaders in place to start what would be a more, uh, we'll call it in the West, more traditional model where it's there's a gathering on a Sunday eventually, not necessarily right away, but there's a gathering on a Sunday, there's a worship service, there's small groups that meet during the week. Um, There are some, and I think great models out there, and I think we've got one of them, um, to go and want to start that kind of model. And then there's other Church start intention that is we're going to start a neighborhood church model, and and aim for that and and uh, and and you know run after that, and I think what we're saying is both of those things are good, and we believe that they with the right. Humility and leadership both can also work together, Mm -hmm. and we champion that. Um, And so, how do we know then? What is uh, at what point is something called goes to church and comes out of this kind of church start phase? Um, Again, nothing uh, nothing super um, uh, prescriptive in the Book of Acts or in the letters about this particularly. But we just found out. You know what? Once that that church start begins baptizing people, if churches are to put, are to um, uh, uh, really they're going to have the sacraments and the the ordinances of baptism and Lord's Supper. Um, if that's the case, then once they baptize somebody, then we're going to certainly start the process of championing the the um, the self governance, the autonomy of that particular body and so uh with little creek that's what we did um we sent them out and they like you described they started meeting in home and uh began to covenant together to intent together to become a church um and once they had their baptism for the first time it was like all right we're going and um they started to peel off more officially from ov on a sunday morning and started to be a little bit more there were already some that were only doing Little Creek, but then there were some that were kind of back and forth, and we were like, "No, you need to now, You need to be all in here. Um, it's time to uh, start really going there." And that's again, we kind of fell into that. We didn't plan that ahead of time, um, but that's what made the most sense when we were setting out to start a more traditional church um, versus neighborhood.
1: Yeah. Church. Do you remember having those first conversations? I fought against that um, initially. Um, just because if it's, uh, if it's one day old, let's, let's put a jersey on this church and say, hey, you, you're, you're a church. Uh, we know you haven't taken your first steps yet, but you're in the family. And, uh, and if you wanna be a church, then you are. And um, there's nothing, I, I don't see any reason to, to withhold a church from that title. Or, or that position, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, why, why is it you think that it, this is important? Because you had a good, you had a good response. Um, why is it important to you that you see um, some of these key factors happening before you just go ahead and throw a title on on a group of people who want to call themselves church? Um, I think some of it is.
0: It's going to sound. Like control, um, but I—I I, I mean, if, if if you guys all know me, like I—I am—I try to be the most open-handed I possibly can be. These were team um, discussions too, so yeah, obviously exactly.
1: it wasn't just you making decisions or gatekeeping anything, right? And,
0: and multiply itself doesn't exist to make decisions for these local churches anyway. Um, I really believe that it was a lot more about just the the health and sustainability. Of this group of people who have now said we want to become a church, um, some of it is just a matter of all right. Well, let's let's see some fruit from that. If um, if if you know they've, they they had been making disciples in their context, and uh, and let's let's now see what the fruit of that is going to become, and um, and kind of you know it, it just needing for uh, for folks coming out of. A very established church environment that hadn't planted a church in 30 plus years if not more um, how how can we just put that little tick mark in place so that people know um, that are willingly and and lovingly sending them out to start this new work that they know that this work is happening there's yeah. fruit that's coming from it and now we are officially you know yeah blessing that thing yeah Call it what it is.
1: I see your heart as, hey, we don't want to just see a bunch of Christians leave churches, go sit in their living room, and call themselves church if they haven't had the training or if they don't exactly understand why they're there, that intent, right? And if they're not on mission, if they're not working towards seeing people come to faith and be baptized and then follow in obedience through discipleship, then I would be very... um, wary against calling them a church as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's why we don't want to see a bunch of neighborhood churches just operating on their own.
2: Yeah. At the same time, I, I think it's helpful to find for, for lack of better uh, for lack of having a better word, like a least common denominator of church, Mm -hmm. because if we know where the starting point is, it allows for creativity. Mm -hmm. And I think creativity is much needed in our world today, given that it's, it's just so, diverse and so different from the the church of the Bible, that context, that world, and um, I think the the thing that could make uh, this work here a combination of models uh, is because I know myself, John, I think Aaron, everyone I've met at part of Multiply believes that as long as the least common denominator there is there, then all of the rest is good. Like, I'm all for legacy churches and Mm -hmm. And, and neighborhood churches, and simple churches, mm-hmm. and house churches, and, and all of these kind of things, if we understand what the baseline is, then we can all champion the different ways that God has us modeling, you know, the church, and I, I do believe that that is very, very, very helpful, and I, unfortunately, there's just a lot of misconceptions about what exactly the neighborhood church is, and so I'm glad we're doing stuff like this to try to clear those up.
1: Amen.
0: Yeah, I agree, and um, I, you're right, misconceptions, and I think this bringing this kind of clarity um, out is only going to be even more helpful for you, the listener. Um, for for you, that's maybe a part of Multiply already, um, or for maybe a church leader or somebody that's that's considering what this kind of togetherness really looks like. Um, you know, honestly, man, <laughs> I can I can attest to say that the starting point of this is. Going from that—we did this already on the podcast—going from that gripped, tight-fisted, clenched (laughs) teeth kind of approach to Mm -hmm. just, again, opening your hands and understanding this is not mine. Jesus said he's going to build his church, and so maybe, just maybe, um, he's still Lord of the church, and he's still building it, and he's um, allowing these different kind of nuances and models to occur, because that's exactly what he wants to do to reach all different types of people— In a particular culture environment.
1: Yeah, amen. Unity, not uniformity. I've heard you say that a few times. Yeah, love it. Yeah, absolutely, love it. Before we go any further, let's have a quick reminder that uh, this podcast is written, produced, and distributed all right here in the Multiply family. Your giving to Multiply to the Multiply Project makes this possible. We just recommitted our yearly contributions and pledges a few weeks ago, and we invite you to do the same. You can give to Multiply by making a pledge with us or by a one-time donation at multiplythechurch.com. Praise God for a great start to a fresh season of Multiplying the Church.
0: Amen. Amen. We had a good time at that little Multiply service. Yeah, that it was fun. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Yep, Love um,
2: seeing
1: everybody in one space yeah you know family Ni- reunion is what we call nicholas i don't know if I, i'm sure you're aware before i really started digging in at the grace collective i was visiting all three churches mm. and um so week to week i would be in a different different church and then getting to see everybody in one spot was really special yeah
0: yeah it really is well um neighborhood church Let's uh, let's kind of major on that for um, the rest of the episode today, because um, and by the way, I gotta point out just. uh going way behind the scenes here for a second. I'm a little nervous here, guys, all right, because um, this is the least amount of notes that I've ever come to a podcast <laughs> with, and um, I don't know where any of this is going to go. And so, um, you know, I feel like I'm a little bit uh, teamed up on here, um, but but, <laughs> but uh, I think it's going to be good uh, further uh, because we've already had some good discussions. So let's um, talk specifically about the Neighborhood Church and, um, and really... We believe that the neighborhood church really creates a close community to to foster healthy disciple making, and we see the, of course, the the major origins of this in the New Testament, and we see it um, even some uh, throughout church history, and especially in the in the modern era and international context, um, and now kind of floating over to this post-Christian. West that that we're now experiencing, and so um, Nick, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the origins of the uh, just the neighborhood church, or gathered and scattered? Uh, once again, we're putting language and we're calling things the way we call them, um, understanding that other people uh, are, might use different language in different spaces. Um, you know, neighborhood church, house church, scattered church, whatever. Um, but yeah, talk us. Through a little bit of the kind of the New Testament origins of how we got to this space where it's no longer just maybe this one big gathering, but things have now kind of distributed
2: out. So when I was first introduced, I guess, to the concept of a neighborhood church, I was um, I, I was presented with a, a sort of overarching New Testament model of what the church looked like. And the word church in the New Testament is essentially used in three different ways, the, the word that we use for church. And importantly, it, it's never used. This, this is kind of like a, a starting point for the teaching at the Grace Collective is like the word church is never used the way we use it today, pretty much. Right. Like most of the time when we say church today, we're talking about a specific list of doctrines, a covenant statement and branding. Usually, like, like I go to OV Church, and then you can picture, like, okay, we have colors, we have, a, like, an emblem, we have a community. And even space. The space. space. Yeah, space yeah, together. Yeah, that's church. Like, when we say, I'm going to church, right. like, you, you're really not, right? You're going to a church building, or you're going to a gathering, that kind right. of thing. So in the New Testament, and, and again, not that any of those things are bad, but in the New Testament, I think the starting point we have to understand is there's three ways that it's— it's 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 used. It's used, of course, uh, to talk about house churches, or, or you know what what we look at in the Bible and say a house church. So, so there's there's several times in the New Testament where Paul's talking to someone, what have you, and. And, you know, the church meeting in in these homes, right? So that's one way that churches use. These are, you know, typically uh, the first century was a very tribal uh, place, right? Not just the tribes of Israel, but it was tribal in the sense that there was a patriarchy locally and that, um, you know, when, when your son got married, for instance, he went and got his bride and then you moved into like... An addition on your house, and so on and so forth. And those those tribes, those generations would tend to like live together in a cluster. That's that the, when when the gospel would come to that household, that extended household, and then um, and then people start living as followers of Jesus. That was essentially the house church. It was the the gathering of family members and neighbors, uh, and and the, that was the smallest unit that that the word is used in then we start to see references as those um, house churches, those neighborhood churches grew and multiplied. We start to see Paul referring to churches, the word researchers in certain areas, right? The church in Laodicea, the church in Corinth. And this, uh, if you kind of extrapolate a whole bunch of different scriptures, you see that there's like, okay, there's a way that, um, from what I can tell, there's a way that these house churches geographically get combined under some kind of leadership. And then so, so we would call it like the city church, and the Bible definitely points to those city churches. Uh, and then, um, so, so a city church is a combination uh, of a gathering of, of house churches, and then a gathering of city churches is when uh, the Bible, the New Testament, refers to like the universal church, what we call the big C church. It's all of the house churches, all of the neighborhood churches, all of the city churches gathered around the world, all of the followers of Jesus, or even would-be followers of Jesus, in total is the third way that it's used. So so everything that I do ecclesiologically or sort of theologically that has to do with the church, I have that model in the back of my mind. And and I think that exp- that sort of expression starting with the simple and then building something larger is what the Grace Collective in a lot of ways when it started out was was trying to seek because there's a DNA that gets to get established. Uh, in my opinion, in those neighborhood churches that's really, really hard to establish if you start, you know, from the other direction, moving backwards.
0: So let's, what are some of those pieces of the DNA? Um, You know, as we were to kind of break them down. uh, Because I I, I don't disagree with you, by the way, because even as our model of starting a more uh, legacy-style church would be, um, our intent is that groups, small groups, um, would be sent out to go and start the, this new work. And so it would start in, um, um, what, uh, JD Payne calls apostolic church planting. Like it's, it's going out as a group. It's, it's starting, um, this church, um, in the home and, you know, it will likely uh, aim to grow to a certain extent to, uh, become a gathering on a Sunday, because in our culture, and some spaces in our city, that's still really important um, that there be some sort of Sunday gathering. Um, and so, so I agree that f- starting from that kind of uh, expression and growing into what would look like a little Greek church or an OV church, in our case, um, needs to have that kind of disciple-making root to it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think what I hear you saying is there's some models out there still that are, let's launch large right? And that are like, let's, let's, um, we're not going to even do anything really. We're going to gather, um, you know, a, a core group in a house and we're going to try to recruit about, you know, a hundred people or so, and we're going to launch with a hundred people and we're not going to do a gathering really until we get a hundred people gathered in one space. That is an actual model that continues to exist today. Um, but, but what I hear you saying is you, it's hard to work backwards. From that to get to the right DNA, so what are some of those core core DNA pieces
2: for you? Um, yeah, so there I think there's even some things that maybe I could say are almost impossible, uh, but um, primarily you have if you start with a gathering, right, or if you start with a group, or you try to add a lot of people. There's there's this mentality that um, a lot of people are calling like the producer versus consumer mentality, the the ethos, the culture that if you you know what you win people with is what you win people to, and so if the very first entry point for somebody, the only entry point or the the primary entry point for somebody into a local bodies of believer a local body of believers, is on a Sunday morning that's non-participative, on the part of the person sitting in the pew. Then I think that there's a lot of evidence and data to show that it's it's nearly impossible a lot of times to reverse that on a large scale to have somebody be a producer as opposed to somebody who's like um, I'm showing up to be like we, we call it a service a lot of times right I'm trying to stop saying service because oh. that idea of I'm somebody's showing up to be. Uh, to a service to a place where they're served as a consumer, as if it's a restaurant, is, is really hard to undo. Or an
0: oil changing. I'm gonna get my car serviced. Yeah, I'm gonna get, get my car serviced. serviced. Exactly. Exactly. I'm gonna get my
2: heart serviced. Right. Yeah. So yeah. you know, I, I the other thing is, I think there's um, like this first things first uh, mentality. We, we we talk about that a lot at the Grace Collective, right? If you, if you jump. Uh, I, I have found in my personal experience that if you start with something that's not the absolute basics, uh, it's really hard to work that back in, right? So kind of like the starting point is to become a, a disciple. And and we say the starting point for that is to spend time with Jesus, right? So you have to be with Jesus. You have to become like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. Again, if if, if you're not in an environment where that's almost forced because nobody's doing it for you, it can be really hard to pick up those basic uh the the basic sort of self-feeding or participative community feeding of you for you and the spiritual formation tools that you need if you start off with somebody doing it um, for you. The the more obvious one is community. Um, The gospel, right, came second to community originally. And that's a concept that I think is hard for us to understand, that if you if you pursue neighborhood churches, right, by by virtue of saying that you're pursuing a gathering that is in a neighborhood, and, and you go back to that geographical location, the propinquity of people, how their 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 proximity to one another. So a lot of times, what we do, and I've been a part of this actually, my first experience as a pastor, uh, a pastoral intern in seminary, I was like uh, working for the the uh, small groups pastor and they're like okay we want to go from we want to grow the amount of small groups we have and we went from 13 to 30 and like it was a big success and and really all we did was like move people around and split up things and then like force people to start new ones and I you know looking back addition on, by division <laughs> yeah exactly and I think um unfortunately what we did was not um, it certainly wasn't multiplication, but I don't know that it was authentic community either, right? And and we learned this when we first started the Grace Collective, because I, 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 being a part of other small groups at other church was like a lot of people were saying, I don't feel the closeness, I don't feel the intimacy, I don't feel the, the way it seems to be described in the Bible. And I think that's because... What we, what we tend to do is like, if you don't start at the very smallest things, then you're not bringing the gospel into authentic community. You're trying to pull together community from all different places and different communities, and then almost force community into that small group environment. It can work, but it takes a lot of time. It's really, really tough. Instead, if the charge of multiplication, if the, the practices of Jesus, if being a follower of Jesus enters like the Holy Spirit, enters into a new area, then that community is already there, right? It's already there in the neighborhood. You're part of the Civic League. You have a barbecue, that kind of stuff. Now you're just doing like God things together. And uh, that shared community, just um, there's a level of intimacy there that can't be replicated by splitting people up or pulling from all different kinds of things.
0: And I um recently heard uh, uh, Rick Warren second time he's come up in this podcast uh, and you know, say what you will about him I don't know but uh, I, I think I think he's done some brilliant things out there as he's stepped down now from his, his role at Saddleback um, but I remember him saying something about uh, him being a part of his small group now for twenty years or whatever it was. They're saying people have been around for twenty years, um, and I don't know how many times they've started new small groups. I know nothing about that, but I, my my gut reaction to that was, "Ugh, how did you do that? Are you stuck in the same group for twenty. You didn't do anything. You didn't even. You didn't move anything forward." Um, <laughs> but now, the, the older I get, the more I realize because it's it's harder now for me um, is that man, if I had people in my life that I was in weekly or biweekly community with that I've been in community with for 20 years, wow, I'd actually have some deeper relationships than I have right now. You know, if I'm being 100 with you, with Mm y'all like um, it's, I, I was really, really hurt by the last small group that, we had in our home um, because we, we multiplied out of our other group too quickly. And I, and I had this mentality and we, you know, we were on staff together, John, at the time when we were like, all right, we're going to grow the small groups. We're going to multiply them. We're going to grow the small groups. We're going to multiply them, raise up leaders, start new small groups. I'm not, I don't, I think that is still something that is necessary. But if, if you don't have at least a core group within your group, that you can enjoy being around um you know it like you don't have authentic community with people you gotta like manufacture community right it's going to flop it's gonna fail well uh, yeah. you know I, I think that's
2: absolutely true it's a great point well again if you think about what i said regarding like the synagogue and the the house church start and the the patriarchal kind of everyone lives around me that was a forever thing you know most people uh, when when our religion started, uh, it would live in the same town and, and hardly ever wander out of it for their entire lives. So I'm I'm a firm believer that if you're a part of a neighborhood church. The best case scenario is that you never leave that church; that that's your church forever. Wow! And when it grows to a certain point and it's too big to have the intimacy and the things that we talked about, you don't need to grow it anymore. And those that's just your people forever, hopefully. And 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 so this is this is like at ICM when when I do trainings and teachings um, on this subject with large organizations, the first one of the first places that we start is you have to identify where your church or your denomination is at currently, right? Because there's there's sort of two ways to implement what we're talking about here, the neighborhood church. The one way is, I've got 200 people showing up on Sunday mornings. So I started with attracting people with good teaching, which is amazing. Every church needs that and, and worship music. And now I've got a problem. I grew it to 200 people and I don't have authentic community. So you're working from 200 people to now try to split that up into groups of 12 or 20, right? So, so that's an, But that's an entirely different path. So what you're trying to do is create community out of an existing community that you brought together now that's a little bit too large to have the community that you want to have. Right, so yeah. so it's like okay, I need to split you all up into like where, where you live or your interests or something, so that you can do the other things that are important to our faith that you can't do in a group of 200. The other way to do it is to say in start of withing, starting with 200, I'm gonna we're gonna start with the group of 10, make sure that that group of 10 is doing the intimacy, doing all of the things, being a follower of Jesus, spending time with Jesus, making disciples, et cetera, et cetera, and then that's gonna stay that group forever so that they can, this is the only way they can keep doing those things, but then they're gonna to try to create another group of those 10 and then those 10 are gonna to try to create another group of 10 and the original 10 is gonna to try to create another group of 10 until the point where you're in the same position as that other pastor or denomination. Now you've got 200 people, but they're all made up of those groups of 10 that have that DNA instilled in them in the authentic community and then all of those can meet together. Really important to know sort of where you fit in before, before you get started, right? Mm. Yeah, mm, that's good.
0: You know, another—I guess—I guess—root uh, uh, of this too is, um, you know, that uh, Jesus called the disciples to come and follow him, and then they believed, right? And so it was almost like he was calling them to community with him before they actually believed in who he was and proved to be who he was you know and so I think that's a good kind of foundational piece to say the model was there with Jesus too mm. oh yeah um Bingo. man that's good I like it um any other like DNA like essence kind of things uh that are really important to this uh that um you know some of the uh, more I guess almost modern kind of patriarchs might espouse you know um some of the some more DNA topic discussion here.
1: I definitely have to go with the community one, so it's it would just be tagging onto that. Um.
0: What role? Let's do this. What role do the scriptures play in what we're talking about? I mean, we we're, we might just be we're just kind of assuming, right? Um, and maybe there's somebody listening that that uh, is not as maybe. Um, Bible-centric or uh, doesn't have the theological roots maybe that some of us have um, what role does the scriptures play
1: in this so one thing as we talk about DNA all right this just came to mind I've been operating over the past probably six seven years from four principles that help churches get to movement and the first one is biblical like everything we do needs to be biblical Um, the second one is that it should be simple Uh, try to reduce complexity at all costs because if it's if it's too complex then it's not going to be able to achieve the last principle we'll get there the third principle is low cost or no cost so biblical simple low cost no cost And the reason why we want it to be simple, the reason why we want it to be low cost or no cost is for the fourth principle, can it reproduce? Has it been reproducing? Has it been tested to be reproduced? If it's a tool, if it's a method, if it's a strategy, whatever it is. Um, Because if something's really expensive or let's just say it's five bucks for this book, right? Then it's very difficult for the next person who might not have an extra few bucks because what what if that next person leads their entire family, which is seven people to the Lord? Are they going to be able to pay? Is every one of those people going to be able to pay the five bucks? And then let's say this happens overseas, right? It's very difficult at that point. So for me, I don't, within, a, within neighborhood church, within trying to keep it simple, within trying to keep it low cost, no cost, um, I use the scriptures as my primary source for discipleship i don't use books i don't use you know i I use the internet because people can go to that in my context I, i use things that make sense for the people that i'm trying to disciple that's plug and play for them right there hey here's the resources here's where i got them but to me i if i only had a bible and a pen and paper um i i feel confident that i could disciple somebody for years Um, but that's because I've had other people do that with me with just the scriptures. Um, and then there's really simple tools that we teach others that, Hey, this is how you can story the, the vast majority. Did you know, (laughs) here's our, did you know for today Mm -hmm. that the vast majority of the population in the world today are oral learners. They can't read, they don't read. And so we got to figure out a way as we're sharing the scriptures, as we're discipling others. Hey, how can I story through some of these Bible stories? How can I, how can I explain this in a way that it's a story of hope? And then what are some questions I can ask? Um, so I would say discovery Bible study, um, whether that be in front of a, um, a mega house church, uh, which, you know, put a number on it. I don't know. Um, I've seen some, I haven't seen, I've heard of some mega house churches out there. Um, There's also a funny parody YouTube uh, music video that's a mega house church. It's pretty good. Go check it out. Nice. So then, and also, you're
0: you're, like in the number. You'd think like fifty.
1: Yeah, that would be a pretty big big. house church, man. I would. Yeah, I would. I would make fun of that as a mega house church. Why not? You know, like you figure out how to make fun of mine. I'll figure out how to make fun of yours. We'll (laughs) have a good time. And then um, ultimately, it's then asking like, hey, Discovery Bible Study. Who are you in this story? Um, who who do you want to be? Is it is it the sinner who's been transformed? Is it the is it the person who's poor in spirit um, that needs hope, or are you Jesus in this story? Are you just that good? Are you perfect? Uh, and and every time we go through these stories of hope or story through the scriptures, we get to apply it to our lives, and I think in a lot better way, led by the Spirit, sometimes than just a a training packet or booklet, um, if you will.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of those
1: are also really helpful at times too, but again, understanding your context and where they fit in. Sorry.
2: Yeah. Simple things repeat, simple things multiply. Mm-hmm. So I, I, another couple of things I thought of while you, were, while you were talking, uh, one is I think a necessary part of the DNA is a commitment to raising up leaders from the harvest. Yeah. Right. I, I think we would all agree that's the best case scenario, but it's, it's kind of rare, uh, but if you're in a neighborhood church or a simple church, you really don't have a choice, right? You, you, The gifts of the Holy Spirit almost like need to show up in order for you to have a, a well-rounded, healthy church. And it's not that you can't find that through a larger expression, but it, it, I think it forces more people to kind of step up and be like, you know what, I can do this. I can lead, I can teach the Bible. I, I can learn it and, and learn how to interpret it and share it. Uh, by myself. And then, you know, just multiplication itself becomes a necessity because I, when you said mega house church, I was thinking of, uh, is it Dale Partridge? Dale Partridge? He's got mm-hmm. like, that massive sort of Facebook and he's a big house church proponent. And early on, we kind of did some research with, uh, about him, but it, his idea is like, well, I think he like lives on a huge farm now or a ranch, so he can have that mega house church but go for it dale but most of us you 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 can't grow by addition because <laughs> yeah. your house can only fit so many people right, right? so you right. so you have to multiply and in so doing you have to multiply disciples leaders, leaders yeah. you know in church
1: it's it, yeah that's built in and I, I think the leaders from the harvest is huge in fact my mentor has has an article out for the longest time now that the title of it i might get a few words wrong but The title of it is, Are Pastor Search Committees a Sign of Great Commission Failure? And the idea behind that is, if the pastor who was here for so many years before did not reproduce themselves, then what were they doing? Um, I think that's a huge point for the DNA. Mm,
0: Yeah. That's good. I, um, I'll just give, give a little bit of a kind of, uh, story of, of recently this happened with me. Um, obviously I've said a million times, you know, I, I don't pastor one of these kind of churches, but my most recent, uh, neighborhood church experience came with my family. Um, and we were, it was a few months ago and we were, um, going to visit my my ailing grandfather for the last time and we kind of knew it was it was reaching the end and so we gathered up in in his little um what's the mother-in-law suite at my parents house um and my my dad so uh historically back in the day in the old Traditional church that was in my little small town that I grew up in, my grandmother um, took the attendance and put the little numbers on the little slide things at the back of the church, right? To get mm-hmm. the numbers for attendance and offering for the day, right? Mm-hmm. And then the hymn numbers were all up there, all that kind of stuff. Well, on that day with my family, my dad took attendance and he did it on the back of a piece of paper and just said, um, "In attendance today," and there were thirty-seven people um, in the house in this little uh, gathering space, living room, wasn't little, obviously, um, but that included kids, included everybody, right? And uh, I had one of the most fun times that I've ever had in an environment like that, um, in, in a church environment, uh, where I, at, when we started, my brother was leading some worship songs. I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, but I knew I was going to be the one expected to, to do the talking and guiding of the lesson. Right. Um, and when it came up, I, I re- I was like, you know what I'm going to do simple. I'm going to go, um, uh, John three sixteen, and I'm going to go Moses. Uh, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Go with Jesus and Nicodemus, right? That kind of thing, mm-hmm. and then and then I went back to when Moses actually did that in the Old Testament with Israel and kind of tied it into Jesus, you know, and uh, um, old and new. And like it was one of the most fun things I ever did, but I had to do it with a three year old to four year old, mm-hmm. and and almost going to see Jesus, eighty-six year old or eighty-seven year old. You know, I think he's much older than that, actually. But, um, but it was it was so fun though, like, cause it was it was applicable to the little kids, and I tried to be fun for the kids' sake. But at the same time, I'm not sure my grandfather had ever really heard it connected in that mm. kind of way. And then afterwards, my sister-in-law was like, "That's the most excited to preach I've ever seen your brother." <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so it was just. Um, it was just a lot of fun. I guess it's just an example of saying you said story through the scripture. That was somewhat of a storying, but it was more of just, it was, it was straight teaching, but it was doing so in a way that is, um, uh, contextual and exciting for the people that are there, um, because you know that that's the message that changed your life, and you know that this is the oikos that you do life with and that love you the most. And so, um, you know, I want to uh, I want to participate in in a church like that, you know, mm-hmm. and I want to do that in my my traditional church environment at OV, and I want you guys to be able to do that in your neighborhood churches church environments, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, that it, it, again be it's the um, uh, a a gospel-centered way to do that—that um, that really, in my case, in the family's case, started with community. Um, brought the gospel to that, and we worshipped as a result. You know, mm. and it really is that simple. Hmm. You know, yeah. When it comes it's beautiful. Down to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun. Mm.
1: Um, that's encouraging. Thanks for sharing that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So let's uh. I, I keep, um, I wrote down two words that we talk about a lot, um, and I wrote down organized and organic, or organic and organized, and I don't want to belabor that other than to say, like, as we go from small group, church, start church, healthy church, um, I see the, the pendulum swinging almost to this, from this very organic kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, things aren't as tightly put together. Um, you know, we're just, we're just meeting, we're deciding who we are, what we want to become, um, as a new church. And, and it shifts. I think you guys would say, and I know Nick, you've talked about this recently about how, where that was like, would I be wrong in saying when we first got together that you were like all about this organic church kind of approach and, um, and now you've kind of shifted to this place where you're like, okay, I still love that, but we got to organize something here. Um, can you talk about that a little bit, about the tension between, like, I want to be more uh, more of this neighborhood church organic thing, but, man, it's really essential that some things are organized. Otherwise, people fall apart. Um, you know, discipleship doesn't actually happen. Um, people get tired and worn out um can you talk about
2: that um reality? yeah i so one of the misconceptions i had when i jumped both feet into the neighborhood church uh, model was that that was it that was the end point right is you just you have like a, a simple church so by simple church we, i mean you have a few people meeting in a home maybe eight to twelve twenty max maybe Um, and you open the Bible, read some Bible verses, you talk about it together. Maybe you do a worship song. You try to apply those scriptures to your life and then help each other live them out, you know, over the coming week or until your next meeting. And you just did that forever and tried to help other people start the same thing. And there are some, some folks I think who, I think that's the place to start and you don't really need to know more than that to start. But what I learned is that um, there's actually sort of like a phase two <laughs> in a way, hmm. and, and that's the city church, right? So if, if you have um, a lot multiple house churches—so so I think the question comes down to leadership, right? Uh, that we, if you believe that a plurality of elders is the biblical model, which I think all of us do, then you kind of run into this weird situation where um, you, you feel like you should do that because that's what the Bible models for us. Um, but are you going to have a panel of elders in every neighborhood church? No, of course not. And so I think that was, that's in the Bible and it's very biblical and useful because say you have six or seven or eight neighborhood churches meeting in a specific area. Where does that, where does the leadership come from? Where, where do the gifts that maybe for the time being haven't showed up the gifts of, you know, prophecy, the gifts of, uh, the apostolic gifts, things like that. If, if your house church is eight uh, people and maybe it's early on, you don't have access to all of those gifts, right? I think everybody was meant in the local church to have access to those. So you start to realize that there's tremendous benefit, not just in the smaller gatherings, but in a, a larger gathering too, or a larger structuring, a larger shared vision in particular. And, you know, one of the, one of the things I've realized is that. When you have all these multiple, you you first of all, if you're going to embrace this, you have to realize that God's in control and you're not going to be able to control every aspect of it. You're not going to be able to count all of it. You're not going to be able to like see where all it leads and you just got to kind of live with that. Um, But if God has given you a certain vision and and stewardship and the the charge to shepherd people, there is also a a need to do that. And when you're just leading one house church, for instance, and then maybe helping start another one, you don't have a voice as an elder or as a leader or a shepherd or a prophet or an apostle, uh, apostolic gifting inside the larger city church. And so it, I think I came to realize, and I came to learn actually, that the biblical model was not to stop once you have the small intimate communities and you're multiplying them, but to actually start to, uh, through the Holy Spirit, bring them together in some kind of shared vision uh, that, that represents the city or the geographical area that you're in. And, and really cool things start to happen there because now maybe in your neighborhood, you've got three people in your neighborhood church that are all gifted with uh, shepherding, right? Uh, and then the neighborhood next to yours has three people in it uh, that are gifted with like um, evangelism and nobody gifted with shepherding, right? If the larger vision, the larger community, the larger communication structures and things, well, now you can each each neighborhood church can benefit from the others, and everybody gets better for it. Mm. Yeah.
1: Amen. That's good. When I think of organic and organized, what comes to mind is a a picture that I get in my head about this architect who was hired to draw up the plans for an entire university. And he laid out all the buildings, but he did not, the built it all, it was complete, and students were going to class, class was in session, but they didn't have any sidewalks. Um, So when I think of organized and organic, he let the students determine where the sidewalks would be included two years later. And they just put them over the worn-down paths that the students had created, just out of functionality, out of simplicity. Why should we try to over, you know, uh, become over complex on this and try to figure it out for them? Let's just let the 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 laws of nature, if you will, uh, take over here. I like that balance. Everything has to have structure to some extent but you can't overprocess it you can't overstructure it you can um, go too far We're not, and I think I mentioned this in the last podcast, we're not out to vilify a model. And I think it would be really helpful for others. I know it would have been helpful for me to hear this a lot earlier, that we need to do away with the words right and wrong when we have these conversations in these safe settings. There is a right way to do church. Um, There's a wrong way to do church, right? But within this conversation and how we're using it, then I think what's helpful is saying, hey, what's faithful? Not what's right, but what's faithful? And you can be faithful in a legacy church. You could be faithful in a, in a church start. Uh, and you can be faithful in a mega house church. Um, so I don't really care at the end of the day how you're doing it as long as you're going back, we're going back to the least common denominators here. Are we getting the main things right? Are we being <laughs> faithful? the main things then at that stage i don't care how organized or how organic it is but we got to recognize yeah when i came into it too i thought maybe maybe in some senses i don't have to be killed by processes because i'm people over process right i can focus more on community more on people i don't have to worry about fitting into these avenues or boxes or whatever um but today um, there's I've seen there's, there's uh, maybe this is wisdom and time spent in it. There's very legitimate processes and methods that can help ease the pain as you go through it. Sometimes I guess they just need to be learned and that's a part of it. But if we can help others through that, then let's help them through another method or process.
0: So let's um, kind of uh, tie things up here with a couple of animals. One very large, one very small. And um, I'm talking, of course, about the elephant and the rabbit. And uh, I'd like to say I have some sort of, um, you know, a children's story to tell regarding the elephant and the rabbit. Maybe we should write a children's book (laughs) about an elephant and a rabbit and how they um, multiply or add or whatever. So I I don't know what what the deal is there. But... um, an elephant uh, has a gestation period of 18 months, right? Mm-hmm. A rabbit has a gestation period of how many weeks? I don't even remember. A handful. Yeah, it's like 12 weeks or something like that. Maybe it's, less. Yeah. It's, it's yep. super fast, right? Yep. So um, if you think about a church and how it ought to, quote-unquote, birth new churches, uh, there's often an argument for rabbit church, because it's rapid multiplication, we're going to have multiple gestation periods um, way before the elephant is able to have maybe one healthy birth in 18 months, yep. right? And we're the, – the this is, by the, by the way, a missiological discussion that happens all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so what, what ends up happening is they kind of pit the uh, – or put the two corners out there of the um, – the elephant and the rabbit, these are kind of like these two things. And often, if I'm being honest, they're often shown as one is the right way, one is the wrong way. Right. Um, you know, and uh, we're saying that we could probably strike a balance here. Um, but talk about this elephant and rabbit approach to rapid multiplication and uh, just multiplication of the church and, um, and what that looks like in our context um, where we kind of have to re-gospel some Mm -hmm. things sometimes in our in our context uh the elephant and the rabbit
1: yeah i'll 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 cue it up for you nicholas i'd love to hear some of your thoughts here um but initially they both have their misconceptions they both have their benefits and they both have their drawbacks um so big picture you did a great job explaining it um I want to be a part of a church that's willing to multiply that is pursuing multiplication um, beyond pursuing all the other things that we should be doing um, with one another. So I think it's, I think it's building out the habits. What are our habits and um, all metaphors break down at some point, but ultimately what habits are we going to hold as dear in our community? And then I think I think churches probably start with the ideal. So when we're looking at, at our culture today, a lot of our culture is goal-oriented. And so we, we see church as successful if it's attaining this goal or that goal. Do we have enough baptisms last year? Did we have enough people? Did we have enough giving? Did we have enough all these things? And the, the more I track with church, the more I um, learn about church and experience church, the less I care about the goals and the more I care about the day-to-day activity that actually gets us to the goals. Yeah, I don't really sit here and say, ooh, do I want to be a rabbit anymore or do I want to be an elephant anymore? I sit here and say, am, am I going to do the things that I need to do today? And then you can call me a rabbit or elephant one day and see if I care. Yeah. You know, I just, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm trying not to be too much of an old curmudgeon here. So, um, (laughs) Nicholas, what are your thoughts?
2: I, I guess I'm anti elephant when it comes to, in the context of, uh, reproduction. And that's, I think you mentioned gestation. So, um, if we're talking about. Multiplication, I think this is kind of a false dichotomy, right? Because the way, if you look just statistically, and, and this is a way that I think, you know, people sometimes accuse someone who does this of uh, not taking into account the providence of God and the sovereignty of God. But statistically, if we look at um, trying to, let's say, like maintain the, um, maintain Christianity essentially worldwide, right? If we keep going the elephant pathway, there's like a, outside of the providence of God, just statistically, we will see the end of Christianity, Mm -hmm. right? Just It's not keeping up with birth rate and it's not keeping up with the spread of Islam just as two small examples, right? Um, So I think in, in one sense, if you're just like from a wisdom perspective, a strategy of planning perspective, There's questions about, and and, and this comes down to just really, it comes down to the multiplication. If if you have an elephant, and an elephant, if if we're looking at an elephant and saying an elephant means a church with a budget, with programs, with a a children's ministry, with staff, with salary for the staff, again, nothing wrong with these things. Um, If it's got a building, if it's got utilities to pay, if it's got maintenance to do, to reproduce all of those things over again takes a long, long time. It's a lot of work. It involves a lot more people. And again, kind of, it, it's it's a lot of those things are not directly involved with discipleship in one sense, right? So I think that the better the better analogy might be, like going from a rabbit to a really healthy family of rabbits, where. Like there's a, a, a mom and dad with robust training that offer strong spiritual formation for the many, many rabbits that they have that continue to reproduce themselves. And I, I think the, the urgency is such where the, the place of multiplication should be at the, the rabbit level and then um, those other things can be added in later by a select group of people who, who are, are specifically called to focus on them. And to focus on them, this is why I love Multiply so much because this is exactly, this is why I'm so, so behind uh, Multiply and what it's doing because really that's what Multiply allows, right? It allows for the rabbits to keep producing more rabbits and in fact facilitates the faster reproduction of the rabbits in one sense. Re- regardless of your model, by being those sort of select few of staff who are handling the things that get in the way of a rabbit reproducing again? Um, so it's really the sort of the best of both worlds.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, might I might I throw a third animal in the mix here? Um, the tiger, mm-hmm. right? Because um, a a tiger produces a litter. Um, where and, uh, and this gestation period is a lot shorter um, than the elephant, and I'm not I'm not doing this to muddy the waters to be silly because this is actually another yep. illustration that goes with this, um, because I think I think what ends up happening is um, in this discussion. I don't think anybody even those of us who are more in that elephant camp <laughs> would act because I'm just like that's just the reality of our church and the the bulkiness that we have um I would not say I'm advocating for the elephant mm-hmm. you know I would I don't want to I want to reproduce faster than we have it's you're right though it is it's way more difficult to reproduce and and to duplicate all the things that, that are in place. And so we don't want to duplicate all the things that are in place. We wanna we wanna duplicate something that can start off in, in a little bit healthier and quicker way. And so when we when we planted Little Creek, um, the intent was that both of us would now continue as church planting churches, right? And so Little Creek is looking to plant again in the next I don't know, eighteen months to two years or so. Um, maybe a little bit less than that. And um, you know, and I hope we get to at some point within that time as well. Um, and then continue to see some multiplication of these more legacy or traditional style churches. Um, the 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 issue that I kind of take with not not just not what you described as rabbit, because I think that's helpful, but um, the issue that I take with some of these kind of, these teachings and these kind of illustrations is that it, it feels like we're after multiplication for the simple sake of, of reproducing the church when in fact there's a, to me, a huge danger that people have not been discipled to the point where they ought to be starting new churches at all. They don't have necessarily the roots or the the foundation that maybe the original person that started this kind of movement had. Yep. So they don't have the maturity, and they haven't been able to grow to a place of maturity very quickly um, uh, that one might expect a rabbit to grow to. You know what I mean? Yeah. That makes sense.
1: The yeah, and and what's fun about this conversation is we're getting to have this one um, years later after having multiples of these. And so we kind of know where it's going. And the setup is there's, uh, there's fears, right? There's fears that we have, Nick and I, we, we, I, I point at us because we are operating right now in predominantly rabbit style churches, uh, neighborhood churches. And some of those, some of those fears that we have towards elephant churches is, Oh no, what if we don't multiply? Soon enough what if what if we're stuck dealing with a lot of process and not a lot of people as we see it you know i 'm putting words in your mouth, but sure uh, you're nodding your head that works so oh, yeah. the fear though from the opposite side towards rabbit multiplication is well, how are you going to keep up with all that growth how How are you going to ensure that there's actual legitimate discipleship if you guys do see A couple hundred people come to faith in six months. Um, My response, again, I'm showing my personality a lot in this episode is, I don't know, we'll figure it out. (laughs) Like, did the Holy Spirit create the growth or did we? The Holy Spirit did. And so if the Holy Spirit's going to give that to us, well, let's figure it out. And guess what? We've got some ways, we've got some simple reproducing ways that we can do that. And then the rapid multiplication, I think, as far as rabbits are concerned, are out of our control. We don't get to determine how rapid the church multiplies. Jesus gets to determine that. And so then we just get to sit here and and, uh, as he keeps throwing, here's your sports reference, Robbie. If he's just gonna continue throwing fastballs down the middle, then we're gonna keep responding faithfully. And we're gonna keep trying to hit him out of the park, or we're going to try and get on base and then we're going to do the best we can to show other people how to do the same thing. Also, I think we got to recognize, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful that you continued to ask these questions. Um, we've got to recognize that it takes time to develop a relationship. And I think this goes back to what I, I actually mentioned a few episodes ago and you mentioned last episode about the ideal versus the real. What is, what is the ideal for rapid multiplication in a movement? Um, you fill in the blank, right? Everybody can determine their own. Like you envision the Holy Spirit setting a city on fire. Go read about some of the reformations and then have that ideal in your mind. God's done it in the past. It's an ideal today because we have yet to see it in that sense maybe from our mind's eye in real life now, but what's what's the win, what's the goal, and what's reality? The reality is it's going to take time to get there. Um, The reality is we need to co-labor with one another so that the Holy Spirit can actually bring about that movement. We need to work together to evangelize and, and train people up take them into the harvest and actually wait for the Lord to work. I've, I've said from the beginning, since I've been here, success in evangelism is going and telling and the results are up to God. And so if, if that's our posture, as we go into this, I don't really care about how much multiplication there is or not. I just, I want to see God do a work. I want to be here for it. And I want to train the people that he brings along and um, I see, I see that rapid multiplication as a challenge, uh, more so than just a goal. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's my heart. When 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 I think about rabbit church, rapid multiplication, I um, absolutely want to see it.
2: I I want a quick comment here, Aaron. You mentioned a tiger or a lion, and a tiger, yeah. a tiger. Okay, <laughs> there's some difference between the two. I'm not sure. What they are but M- uh, multiply is
1: the color of the tiger. It's a uh the 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 tiger is the marriage between the the rabbit and elephant. Yeah, if a we'll rabbit and well, elephant kinda, had a baby, so it would be a tiger.
2: So at ICM <laughs> That's that's just biology. Yeah. So that's, that's obvious. That's just on. science. The, it's how you use the word, right? Um it, well it it made me think I, I was gonna mention this, but since and i since you did, I wanna tag along. But um, we have a partner, uh, a parachurch ministry partner at ICM who's, who, who began working, um, in Western Zambia, I mean, in west of the Zambezi river, which is like very, very unreached kind of, uh, very rural, I guess is the best word that we have for it. Um, and they came up with this concept, not of rabbit to elephant, but rabbit to lion. And, um, and this really reframed the conversation for me because, in both scenarios, there wasn't really a budget, a program, paid salaries and things, but there was a really, really great distinction between like what a rabbit is capable of versus what a lion or a tiger is capable of. And so the mm. the goal of the neighborhood church is not, again, to stagnate as a rabbit, but to really ideally grow yep. into a lion. Yep. And And that might look like, well, we're not gonna add a budget or so that we have a salary for like one person, we're gonna have a lay leader. But it doesn't mean that a lion church, that that lay leader is going to some serious conferences now, maybe not at first, but then, you know, we're pooling our money together and now they're going to real conferences and they're, maybe they're taking a class at a seminary. Maybe they you know, these kinds of things We're we're buying books for them. And it doesn't mean that two or three, once you, once you have two or three, you know, maybe they're getting together and opening a coffee shop or opening a gym or, um, you know becoming more fierce, uh, stronger uh, sort of faster these kinds of things right It doesn't have to be the things that sort of we look at maybe some people look at as a negative. It can be a lot of great. you can have deacons right you can have okay we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna mature elders inside mm-hmm. of this group using some other resources outside of it using another neighborhood church. We're gonna have deacons, we're gonna start pooling some money and, and helping other people. Um, we're gonna start going and 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 volunteering at at a food bank, right? That's maybe that's like a lion church thing, and oh. uh, and it doesn't have the excess adipose tissue of an elephant, but it's lean and mean, and 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 champions those kind of things. and, yeah. it, and again, I think this is the point in my maturation process. Like I, I mentioned, I feel very restricted in my ability to tell people what I think God wants me to tell them inside the Grace Collective sometimes because I don't get to to teach or preach at every single uh, neighborhood church. And so if you can bring them, bring everybody together, it's a time to, to, to elevate the teaching because, I happen to have the chance to go to seminary and to learn under people and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And more and more and more, I'm like, man, I need more chance. We need more chances to do that. We need, we need more of that higher level stuff mm-hmm. to happen to, to raise all the rabbits. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah that's good, man. Well, I think, um, you know what? One of our goals here today is to really just bring an awareness to how the neighborhood church fits into the multiply family of churches, and uh, and what that all looks like. So um, let's kind of wrap it up here today with this um, this kind of vision for neighborhood church as as a really as it becomes more of a full expression of, of what the city church and the um, neighborhood church can truly look like um, and and, um, and how Grace Collective has is, is becoming kind of a covering for some of these other neighborhood churches. So why don't you talk a little bit about that, Nick, and just like how you see this fitting in both you guys, just see how you how this fits within uh, Multiply itself. Um, I'd like to hear from you first, Nick, just from a sense of like, um, you know, John and I are both employed by multiply you're you're merely a businessman <laughs> um, you know but uh, but um, but really helped get a, get this thing off the ground right and so um, yeah, what does this look like for going forward just a vision for neighborhood church and uh, multiply and
2: the uh, the legacy pillar church kind of working together so the way i the way I view it and, and I again going back to what John said is really important that there's sort of the ideal and and the visionary and then there's the way things are working towards that hopefully in the way that they are now and I view multiply as one church that biblically right there is no distinction between brands or where people meet or when they meet right? we're all we're all part of the big C church but we're also all part of the city church just because of where we do it and if Paul was writing a letter uh, to O.V. or he was writing a letter to uh, the Grace Collective or, or Little Creek Church, he wouldn't, right? He would write it to uh, the, the church in Norfolk, right? Like the church in Laodicea, but the church in Norfolk. So I think we're, we're one church. And I, and I think the neighborhood church uh, and, and the Grace Collective, while recognized as a, a church definitionally with the government, et cetera, et cetera, I view it more as like a stream of neighborhood churches that have some uh, shared leadership over that stream, shared eldership, helping those those different neighborhood churches become the best expression and as healthy as possible. Um, and then that happening really under the guidance of like a regional church uh, that is that is multiply. So it's it's all together. It's all one big f- uh, family. And I you know we're doing a lot of things to try to reinforce this a lot more. Um, because I think there's just so many benefits of it, but the, the goal is really to have, um, you know, we, we do this a lot, is like you can, I hope really soon, we start to see um, somebody leading a house church that was trained through the Grace Collective, quote unquote, or, or encouraged, or the model was shared with the Grace Collective, that kind of thing, or birthed out of a, a neighborhood church at the Grace Collective who goes to OV on Sunday mornings, you know, because there's not there's not a difference. There's, there's not necessarily a difference. They're just both, like, equally really strong expressions of, of the local church happening mm-hmm. in these diverse ways. Yeah,
1: they're both faithful. They're not doing something right or wrong, but we're, we're able to do that because everybody's being faithful to the call, to the mission. Yeah.
0: Yep. Mm, yeah. Good. So Grace Collective, as it functions in... So if you go to the MultipyTheChurch.com website, you will see listed um, the family of churches. And right now the family of churches is listed as Ocean View Church, Little Creek Church, and Grace Collective. And if you were to look at that, it's going to take you um, to a link to the Grace Collective website that's going to talk about what this thing is. Um, And it is, essentially, it is the collective of our house churches under this umbrella. Uh, That is not to say that... O.V. might start or want somebody in O.V. wants to start a house church someday or neighborhood church someday, um, we haven't decided. Will that fall under Grace Collective? Will it not? I I don't know. Um, we're we're kind of that's yet to be fully navigated, right? Um, it might just fall under the OV umbrella um, potentially. Because some of that, when I say umbrella, I'm actually also thinking about some of the administrative systems too, right? Like I I like mm-hmm. to keep an account of, for, of people as well, and um, you know, this isn't like David counting his army or anything. I don't think, but it's uh, it's more of a just like a like who do we got like. And, and are they being cared for right mm-hmm. um, so our focus especially for us is really just who's in small group um, we don't we don't fully account for everybody here on a Sunday unless it's just kind of a number so it's really about all right, who's in a small group those are the ones that we know that we have like a full-on touch care for um, and, and I don't just want to make sure that that's actually happening so I've got processes and people in place to make sure that's happening and I think in the in a similar way not the same way but in a similar way, um, Grace Collective is organized in such a way that you know who you have, um, you know who you're trying to keep track of um, and, uh, and, and make sure that they are also being cared for in a way that's um, not just showing up at their group sessions on a Sunday or whatever days you meet during the week, um, but that they are truly um, plugged in and cared for. And so, so that umbrella is important. The Grace Collective umbrella is important so that we ensure that people don't slip through the cracks. You know what I mean? Uh,
2: absolutely. So I guess when I say that, I, when I think of an umbrella in our in our particular context, I think there's one umbrella which is the, the, the administrative, uh, and then the the church planting vision of multiply, and the leaders of that and the and the sort of submission, of the the different church brands or bodies to say, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna fall under that. And that's one umbrella. And it's an important one it's a shared vision and, and and on shared geography and those kind of things the other umbrellas that i think i would say exist inside multiply are eldership umbrellas mm. so that's and that's really important for us and, and it's something we're going to focus on we're starting to focus on now that we have two elders in in process uh who are operating as elders that have been set apart for that because like the way i think about it right little creek has uh, a group of elders. And the way I understand the Bible, the whether you're in a neighborhood church or a legacy church or whatever, um, if, you're, if you're in that church, <laughs> you're uh, submitting yourself in some way to the elders, right? That mm-hmm. they're, they're being held to a standard that is like to make sure, like you said, everyone, people are accounted for and resourced and healthy and if discipline needs to happen, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the, right now, the way things are, the Grace Collective has those elders and pastors little creek has those elders and pastors ov has those elders and pastors and so there's those those three umbrellas that fall under the bigger umbrella and i, I really believe that's very very it's very important to me at least that if you're in a small group or you're a neighborhood church let's say it's a small group that does the the um the uh, ordinances does uh, baptism and, and lord's supper all of them i think it's important that I don't think the Bible recognizes a system where they don't fall under some kind of leadership from those elders. And maybe one day I could see a day when, you know, some of those are combined or, or something like that in, in regional, and that's totally fine. Uh, maybe not. But those, I think it's really important that we do know those umbrellas and, and, and that we keep a, a balance between how many elders you have and how many pastors that are helping to be the shepherd uh, over those, those smaller yeah. assemblies. Mm-hmm.
1: Amen. One other thing that I think is really helpful that that we've been talking a lot about, Nicholas, is how Sunday mornings are um, structured in such a way that they hold up the house church gathering um, that happens midweek as the the primary focus and purpose of the church. So Sunday mornings serves the midweek services or gatherings, and um, I think I think that's a a, a big distinctive. Um, that we recognize, hey, you're coming here to be trained up as as um, essentially a, a, a training um, time, a training church, and then you're going off. At least this is the some of the language that i've I've been I've adopted after working with a lot of guys in the military. Um, they have what they call their training church that their disciples come to, and then they would send their the people they're discipling out to lead their churches and their homes. Um, so that shift in perspective happens, um, and, and it can unlock a lot of potential for people when we start recognizing, hey, the church that's happening is happening as my home is actually more important to the whole collective here than the times that I'm actually seeing the other half of these people on Sunday mornings. Um, and yet the simplicity about it is we use essentially the same format for both gatherings. And, um, it just creates more reps, um, more familiarity and, um, uh, more of a reproducibility.
0: Yeah. So, um, Nick, do you want to, uh, talk a little bit, um, about John's role in this? Um, this is more, a little bit more internal right now uh, talking about multiply but um what do you have uh john stepping into um because just for um reference so john comes from uh raleigh durham he and his wife landed ov and uh john comes on staff with OV for a while and in the last uh two has it been two years
1: Three almost
0: um, have been really focused on getting house churches off the ground, um, kind of simultaneously with Grace Collective, and now kind of coming under this Grace Collective umbrella and leadership role. Um, so, what what do you guys what have you guys agreed upon to, that uh, that John's going to be focusing on now moving forward?
2: Well, I I think to your the point you made earlier is that there is this concern about. Um, multiplication happening right, right multiplication without health is just cancer yeah uh, that that's something I I try to keep I, I heard um, a while back and, and I try to keep in mind right so so it's something we have to take seriously and I think the way things are are moving with the Grace Collective there's a need to work on that health and I we were confronted to um, gosh just very recently with like the place of the synagogue in the first century. Again, you know, like first century is like where I always try to go back to. And and I was listening uh, to a sermon actually by another pastor, and he was talking about, so they this, this church does a sort of house church during the week, and then Sunday morning, Sunday night actually they get together. And he said, well, th- you know, that's what Jesus did, right? Jesus as a patriarch or Joseph or whatever, they had their house church. Uh, And then, but he was in the synagogue every single Saturday. I mean, the Gospels reveals that really clearly. And, uh, you know, back then the the synagogue was just for men. But really, in one sense, it was this place uh, that you went to once a week where the heads of the house churches, the heads of the neighborhood churches went to learn from the scriptures you know there wasn't bible access the way we have it today there might have been one scroll in the area they could uh share best practices is probably how we would describe it now really kind of pour into each other and get better at being a neighborhood church or a house church leader and i think we realized the need for that and just like uh in the first century, sometimes somebody would be set apart and the, the congregation would um, provide some funding and some support for them to spend more time worrying about that time of improving those leaders. Uh, we, we decided that we were really at the point where we needed that, too. And and when talking with John, um, you know, we were so closely aligned with sort of that model that we had asked John to consider Uh, coming on and kind of being that person that is specifically set aside to look after the health and reproduction and multiplication of uh, the Grace Collective Neighborhood churches and to help make sure that we're providing the, the training on those uh, for us on Sunday mornings to to keep things healthy and powerful and moving, and he's uh, recently agreed to do that, so we're calling him pastor, uh, um, for lack of a better term, I guess. There's nothing wrong with the word. So he's that works. <laughs> so he's the newly minted pastor of uh, the Grace Collective and all of the expressions that are underneath that umbrella, and we're we're just super super excited about that. That's amazing. So, congrats, John. That's uh,
0: pretty fantastic. Um, you're you're now uh, doing really more regularly what you were kind of already doing, just um, a little bit uh, a little bit of a shift, a little bit differently. Um, and I, you know, I think that. The term pastor, elder, we kind of use interchangeably, but for us specifically, and Multiply, um, pastor is the more vocational elder, mm-hmm. um, and elder. We and this is again. There's nothing crazy biblical about this it's just how we use our language um so elder is kind of like the laity you're an elder at grace collective yep. nick um john you're a pastor at grace collective yep. um, um accountable to one another so um man i'm just i'm excited about that i'm excited that uh, really truly the lord just kind of led us to this point, mm-hmm. to f- kind of figure this out, right? We, I would love to say we had this strategy to become <laughs> this kind of, no, we didn't. Um, could we go back now and try to? F- chart out a better path forward for somebody else that may want to do this in the future? Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had to figure it out along the way, and that's kind of been the story of Multiply from the ground up anyway. So, uh, yep. so that, is, that is surely okay. Yep. Um, well, guys, um, I'm excited to be in this race with you, and um, and it's... Um, it, there's, there's so much work to be done. It's so overwhelming, but at the same time, God's grace is so good, and... Um, and aren't you glad he's patient with us? Because man, we can be a little bit—we uh, can get out ahead of him sometimes, you know. And I think so, that's some of what we've talked about in the last two episodes—is uh, evidences of us getting out ahead of God a little bit, and Him slowing us down and making us realize, you know what? It's—it's—it's it's, it's your pace that, mm-hmm. that is going to matter and get you to the end. You yep. Know? Yep. I've—I've um,
1: I've recently started helping a um, a new business startup. And they have a motto that is that I love it, and I've said it a lot lately. The last few weeks, it matters what we do. It matters more how we do it, but it matters most who we do it with. And this journey, figuring this stuff out, it's been a lot of fun. Um, And man, you know, there are times when you can get sick and tired of hashing it out and going through the nuances. And and um, but man when you've got a team like this, it makes those difficult times so much better. Yeah. And uh, it, it's, been a, it's been a pleasure. I'm really excited to see what the Lord is gonna continue doing through Multiply, especially at Grace Collective as I, as I really continue to dig in there. Um, I'm stoked for the next season. We all have our own expectations that we build as we come into a church for the first time especially as we come into the church for the hundredth time. Um, and it's, again, having those open hands and saying, Father, what do you want from us? Not how can the church serve me, but how, Father, what do you want from us as a community? And uh, how can we covenant together to see movement? That's the goal. Um, yeah. And and the, that God
2: may be glorified by that. All different types of churches for all different types of people. Amen. Amen. As a reminder, one of the primary roles of Multiply is to equip our family of churches with the resources they need to multiply disciples, leaders, and brand new churches. New churches are led by planters and teams who are prepared in our pathways to planting with the Times 12 Church Planting Network. You can check that out at times12.org with the numbers one, two. Uh, Leaders are developed using our newly released Leader Pathway. Disciples who want to grow as disciples of Jesus can access our disciple-making toolbox at multiplythechurch.com and begin their journey there. But don't go at it alone. Whether you are just starting or excited about growing as a disciple, remember discipleship is one-on-one or one-on-a-few at its core. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we seek to do. So check out multiplythechurch.com forward slash resources and begin your path to multiply today. And for the
0: resource roundup today, we're going to put all of our different recommended resources on this topic up on the website. But man, I just want to point out that our boy Nicholas Lombardi has written a hundred plus page document um, called the way. And um, are we good to make that thing available to our people? My friend, absolutely good with that Um, because this thing, people need to see this thing and, um, and I'm so excited about it. So it'll be up on the resource page for multiply. I'll put it up on the podcast page as a link as well. Um, because man, you did a bang up job. I don't know if you just copied and pasted a bunch of other people's <laughs> stuff in there or, uh, or what, but no, in all seriousness, man, well, well done. Really, really well Thanks. done. Yeah, Anything you it. want to say about that particular document uh, specifically? I do
2: want to give a shout out to the Zume program, uh, online and Curtis Sargent, Zach Duke, and the Big Life folks, they created Um, a lot of the tools, actually they took the tools from a lot of other people and, um, just their generosity. I I did use a lot of the tools that they have there. And then what I tried to do is take those tools and put them in a a cultural context that applies to a more modern time today and and helping to understand it.
0: It's essentially like the handbook for Grace Collective, uh, for the most part. Um, and it's just, it's love God, love people, make disciples, here's how you do that. That's essentially you. what it is. So, is. Yeah. Um, I'm super stoked that we get to share that with our people, and um, um, thank you for that so much. Well, before we take this pregnant pause, if you're listening live um, and, uh, uh, in the first part of this season, uh, you're going to get a little bit of a long break here until um, the fall rolls around. But for now, It's time to close down the podcast, and remember, the doors are wide open here with the Multiply family.
1: If you found this podcast helpful, please be sure to subscribe and leave a review. This helps us to be seen by other folks who may enjoy a behind-the-scenes discussion like this one. You can also join our Facebook page where we have further discussions about each episode.
0: And finally... You can share this episode and others to your social media pages. We would greatly appreciate that, and we will be seeing you very soon. You've been listening to the Behind Open Doors podcast, where we take you behind the scenes, discovering what it takes to multiply disciples, leaders, and new churches. Let the Word dwell richly in you, and may God multiply your efforts for the kingdom.